You know, the mission of the church is never supposed to be self-centered. It's not supposed to be just contained to what happens here, but the kingdom of Christ is supposed to be expanding as we have vision that goes beyond ourselves. I want to say thank you for those of you that have participated in the mission offering over the last month. I'm also very, very thankful to be a part of a church like this one. On the course of the last 12 months, we were adding up some numbers the other day, and about one in every five dollars that came in went back out into church planting and mission activity around the world. And I'm thankful for the commitment that our congregation has for that. I also want to encourage you to think about going on a mission trip. I'm praying that we'll have as many as 100 people go on mission trips during the 12 calendar months of 2018. A couple of trips coming up over spring break. You can go down to Rockport, Texas, where we're still trying to partner with churches there, trying to help people as they recover from Hurricane Harvey. We would love to have you go and be a part of that. Paul Packabush is your main contact person there. If you can't find him, see me. We're also looking at taking a group to India to work with our Solid Rock ministry that's been going on in the Unreached People group that is there in Punjab, India, where we've been blessed to be able to start two new churches We're looking at taking a group to India either later on this calendar year or early in 2019. If you would like to go to India, then see Chris Seeley or see Samson Mall, and they can start getting you connected to those life-changing opportunities to be on mission trip. If you have your Bibles, open them up with me, please, to Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17, we're going to be in verses 1 through 4 today as we continue our series be different, and make a difference. Whenever I was in grade school, the movie Rocky came out onto primetime TV. And I remember watching that movie. I was absolutely fascinated with the Italian stallion. Remember whenever he would hit the meat there in the freezer and then uh, the way he would say, Yo, Adrian, just you got to love that guy. And then, you know, he ran up the stairs while the music crescendos and raises his hands in victory. And then he comes out for the main event, and he's going to fight Apollo Creed, this larger-than-life guy with the United States boxing trunks and all of that. And everything's moving to this part of the movie. I've been watching it and waiting for this part. And then my parents come in and say, it's time to go to bed. Now, naturally, I was a good kid, so I said, certainly, Father. I will be glad to go to bed right now. And so I immediately scampered off to bed and slept well through the evening. But I remember the next morning I I woke up and the first thing I asked my dad is like, who won? Did Rocky win? And he said, no, Rocky didn't win. And I was like, what? I mean, what's up with that? I mean, the good guy always wins. I mean, what about they live happily ever after? How could Rocky not win? win the movie or the the boxing match now don't tell little girls this but prince charming snores okay and he has a major case of entitlement he grew up in a palace that guy thinks the world owes him everything And, and don't tell the little boys this but but cinderella she is radical when it comes to house cleaning Okay? I mean, she is, she's a little over the top, and glass slippers run about $2,000 at Neiman Marcus, so you may not be able to afford Cinderella. We need to realize that to, to live 
happily ever after means that we're going to have to learn to deal with conflict. We're sometimes going to have collisions. And how you deal with conflict will in many ways shape your life. So as we arrive at Luke chapter 17, Jesus has been pounding on the Pharisees. He hit them, first of all, for their greed as lovers of money. And then he hit them for their low view of marriage. And then we saw that last week he hit them for not listening to spiritual truth. They were tone deaf spiritually. And as he was going through that, I imagine his disciples were like, "Uh, you go, Jesus, you go after them. But now Jesus is going to begin to shine the light of truth onto their own spiritual disease. He's going to go after his disciples and show us uh, the, the tragedy of what occurs whenever we live with an unforgiving spirit. So look with me, chapter 17, beginning in verse 1. He said to his disciples, Offenses will certainly come, but woe to the one they come through. Now let's pause there just a second. Notice, offenses will certainly come. Realize that in life, you will have conflict. In life, people will sometimes say things and do things that they should not. You say, why is that, Lash? Well, we we live in a fallen world. Our world has been saturated at every level by sin, and we too are sinners who live in this fallen world. None of us are perfect, and if you think you're perfect, that's a little prideful, so let's put you in the sin camp after all. We're all sinners. We all fall short of the glory of God. So don't be surprised when Fallen human beings act like sinners. And remember this. You can walk on water, and you can heal the blind, and there will still be some people that want to crucify you. Just because you're a nice person doesn't mean that everybody's going to like you. Offenses, Jesus says, will certainly come. So the question that I have is, how do you deal with those offenses? Anybody in the room today a dog lover? Got any dog lovers in the room? How many of y'all are cat lovers? Okay, well, it looks like the dogs outweigh the cats. Uh, we have, Stacy and I, we, we love Labrador Retrievers. I think pretty well all of our marriage, we've had Labrador Retrievers. Right now, I have the world's only introverted Labrador. I mean, she's a great family dog. The kids love her. We love her. Sweet dog. But she just kind of likes keeping to herself. I'm like, Allie, you want to go for a walk? And she looks at me like, meh, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm good. But I, I've noticed that every dog has its own personality. And I've noticed that dogs kind of have even different ways of dealing with conflict. And they kind of model some of the ways that we deal with conflict. Some of us in the room, we deal with conflict like a greyhound. Do you know that a greyhound can run 45 miles per hour. And so when a problem comes our way, our main, will, main way of dealing with it is, look, I got to run. I got to get out of here. In fact, conflict avoidance is probably the number one way that most of us deal with conflict in our life. And to be fair, sometimes it's not that big of a deal. The old saying, don't sweat the small stuff. 
Sometimes uh, it's not worth tackling. Sometimes you can just let it go, and avoiding the situation is okay. But if that becomes your main way of dealing with conflict, you're probably going to have some ulcers, and you're probably going to have some inner turmoil that starts to take root in your life. It's not a good conflict management strategy to just ignore it and run from it every single time it occurs. Then there's the golden retriever. Anybody have a golden retriever? You've got to love a golden retriever. They're always so sweet and kind. They kind of accommodate whatever comes their way. And that's how some of us deal with conflict. We accommodate it. We give conflict rides. We make excuses. Well, my child made an F in school. Well, of course, it's the teacher's fault because it can't be my child's fault. And we kind of just accommodate those problems. Some of us deal with conflict like a German shepherd. Hey, we just attack it. I kind of like those dog training shows. And so, you know, they'll have that dog training show and they'll bring the poor guy out. I don't know how you get this job, but the guy gets the job of wearing the foam suit, you know, and he stands there and the dog trainer's like, get him. And he attacks him. The poor guy's like mauled and laying on the ground trying to get up. But that's how some of us deal with offenses. Somebody does us wrong, we must destroy them. And we overpower and we try to just conquer whoever gets in our way. Some of us deal with conflict like the abused dog. We've been hurt. We've been neglected. We've been abandoned. And so it's left us a little scared and it's left us afraid. And so we build a wall around us. We become a little bit of a loner. It's very rare that we let anybody in. And you better be careful because if you say the wrong thing or do the wrong thing, we may attack. So Jesus gets really practical in this passage of Scripture. And he offers us some solutions for dealing with the problems that we face in life. And the first thing that he teaches us is don't be a stumbling block. Look again back to verse 1. He said to his disciples, Offenses will certainly come, but woe to the one they come through. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea than for him to cause one of these little ones to stumble. Now the Pharisees were supposed to be leaders. They were examples of spiritual discipline very pious and devout. They could talk theology with anyone. Any subject of theology that you bring up, they could talk with you about it. But unfortunately, they had become stumbling blocks. An arrogant, judgmental, judgmental, self-centered spirit becomes like a millstone around your neck. It will pull you down. But then realize this, pride, anger, an unforgiving spirit, it's contagious. It's like the flu. It doesn't stay quarantined. And if you begin living that way, eventually you begin infecting the people around you. And it's usually the people that you're closest to. That anger begins to infect your relationship with your children. It infects your marriage. It begins to reveal itself in your friendships, in your relationships with your siblings or your parents. It might be seen 
in your life group, felt in your church, even seen within the community in which you live. Anger, pride, selfishness, they're contagious. They become like a millstone around another's neck, dragging them down. Have you ever run into a Christian who is just as harsh as they can be when they are looking at other people's sins? I mean, it's like they don't even realize their own sins, but anybody else's sins, they are just as harsh as they can be about it. Well, I can guarantee you this. They are still carrying around some unresolved guilt. You see, the unforgiving person feels unforgiven. The person unwilling to extend grace struggles to receive grace. And so it often leads to a toxic Christianity that exalts ourselves. And the way that we exalt ourselves is by putting other people down. Because if I can point out your sins and ignore my own, then I can feel better about myself. And so it becomes this angry version of Christianity. Realize this. You are who you are because of God's grace. God doesn't love you for your loveliness. He loves you in Christ. His love for you has been extended to you undeservingly in grace. Last week, we looked at the parable of Jesus and we found this situation where we were dead in our sins. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. And there is a spiritual chasm that exists between us and God. God's over here. We're over here. And between us is the spiritual chasm that is caused by our sin. And we realize our, our imperfection. We begin to realize that certain things are not right about our world, about our life. And so we try to do good things to overcome that chasm. We think, well, maybe I'll go to church, and so that'll help me overcome that chasm. Or maybe I'll, I'll be charitable, and so I'll, I'll buy Girl Scout cookies, and that'll help me overcome that chasm. And we, as a teenager, we, we, we went to youth camp, and we listened to Wayne Watson and Sandy Patty instead of ACDC, and we tried to put a medallion, a nice medallion on our car and do all these good things. And we think to ourselves, you know what? If I just do these good things, then I can transverse this spiritual chasm, and yet the scriptures say it still exists because you are impotent, you are incapable on your own of transcending that gap that is between you and God because it is a gap that has been formed by your sin that a holy God must do something about. And so that's when the story of the gospel really begins to unfold itself into our lives because God, motivated by his love for you and for me, sends his son. And his son lives a life that you and I can never live because our lives are marked by sin. His life was sinless. He was crucified, and whenever he was crucified, he made atonement for sin. It was not just the death of a good moral teacher as an example of one who truly believed in what he taught, but it was an atonement made by God himself through his son. And on the cross, Jesus received the wrath of God intended for sin upon himself, and he took that wrath to the grave in death. But because he was sinless and because he is divine, death could not contain him, and he rose again, and he extends an offer of new life and eternal life for all who believe. 
The teaching of Jesus was not just about behaving better or doing a few good things. The teaching of Jesus was about heart transformation, which leads to life transformation. And he says, all of you come and believe in me and I will make all things new. The old will pass away and the new will come. You will find forgiveness for your past and purpose for your present and hope that lasts not just for a lifetime, but hope that lasts forever in me. And because of this invitation of grace from God, we can be seen by God in Christ. So we are no longer objects of wrath, but we are objects of grace. His children, the almighty, holy God of the universe, the one who spoke it all into existence, our Father whose name is holy says to you and to me call me dad come to me talk to me live with me let me change you let me guide you let me grow you because i am your father and your faith and your hope is secure in me for all eternity because it's not secured by your goodness and your abilities your faith and your salvation is secured by god himself in christ he sees me in Christ, and he extends to me a grace that I do not deserve. This is the amazing grace that we sing about. This is what this is the heart of the gospel. It frees us, it changes us, it defines us, it protects us, and it inspires us to hope, and it will change you. And you must adorn yourself in God's grace. If you don't learn to adorn yourself in the undeserved grace of God, guess what? You will drag the people you love most down. Because when we don't adorn ourselves in God's grace, we adorn ourselves in pride and selfishness. That's the natural default of humankind. And so we put that on, and then we begin dragging the people around down around, dragging down the people around us. Secondly, Jesus tells us. Seek restoration. Look at the passage. We're in verse 3. He says, Be on your guard. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. Have you ever had someone do something to you or say something to you that really ticked you off? No, nobody's ever had that happen. Okay? I'm the only one that's ever had that happen. Anybody ever have someone do something to you that that was wrong? Okay, well, what did they say to you when you went to talk to them about it? Most of the time, truth be told, we say, well, I, I didn't talk to them about it. That would be awkward. Well, what did you do? Well, here's usually what we do. We talk about them rather than to them. That's a lot easier, isn't it? So it's a lot easier to just talk about them than talk to them. And secondly, we rehearse it. We live it out over and over and over again. So there you are, lying in bed at night, staring at the ceiling, unable to sleep, and you're going over that event over and over and over again, and that anger is just churning within you. And that person that you're mad at, the camera switches over to their house and it goes inside their bedroom and there they are snoring away, totally unaware that you're angry, 
totally unaware that you're awake that evening, you're rehearsing it, and they're going on with life. So Jesus gives us in the verse several things that we need to do whenever we find ourselves offended. Number one, be on your guard. Now, when a guard finds a problem, a guard can't say, I'm just going to ignore that. When a guard sees a problem, the guard has to deal with it. And so Jesus says, be on your guard. You must deal with these offenses that come into your life. And it could also be coming into your church, into your family. Secondly, it says, rebuke him. Now, that word in our language, if I say I'm going to rebuke you, you tend to have a you know, defensive reaction to it because it's a strong word. The word rebuke doesn't mean that you are just attacking someone. You're just coming after them to tear them down. The word rebuke means that you're going to have a conversation with them. You're going to talk to them about it. You're going to be real about what has happened, but there's going to be an engagement. There's going to be a conversation. And then thirdly, Jesus teaches us to seek repentance. What is repentance? Well, it's a change of mind. It's also a change of will. When there's been a spiritual offense, when there's been a sin, then repentance involves changing, uh, uh, repenting of your sin towards God, a change of mind about how that what you've done affects your relationship with God. And so as you seek repentance, what you are ultimately seeking are solutions. You're seeking restoration. You're seeking to maintain the relationship, strengthen it, and to be able to move forward. And then Jesus gives us a fourth step, forgiveness. We release the anger. We release the issue. We move on. Ideally, ideally in our relationships, when we have conflict, if we will deal with them in a healthy way, the relationship can be fully restored. Ideally, you can put the matter behind you and move on. Now, I will say this caveat. Sometimes you can have the spirit of forgiveness. You can decide that you're not going to be angry. You're not going to rehearse this any longer. You're going to release it. You're going to trust God in the matter. But there still needs to be boundaries and or consequences. It's not unchristian for you to have some healthy boundaries in your life. There are some people that uh, maybe you're not going to run through the blue bonnet field together with, you know, and you can have some boundaries in your life, and there's sometimes where there's consequences for actions, and sometimes you're in a position of authority where you have to be one that uh, brings some of those consequences. Let me give you an example. Little Lash goes to school. Somebody makes Little Lash mad. So he hauls off and pops him right in the nose. So he gets in trouble. He gets sent to the principal's office, and I get a call, and I have to go up there, and I have to deal with Little Lash. Well, several things that I don't want to do. Number one, I I don't want to ignore it. I want to deal with it. I need to talk to him. I need to have a healthy parental rebuke of his behavior. I don't need to blame the school or blame uh, other people. I need to rebuke him for what he did, and I need to lead him to understand why what he did was wrong and also understand it not just in the temporal, here's your school situation, but in the eternal realm, this is how it affects your relationship with God. 
But then ultimately, I want him to know that as his dad, I love him, I forgive him, we're in this together, I'm his biggest cheerleader, and I want to try to bring him to a point of forgiveness. But in this situation, there would still be consequences. Because of his behavior at school, he's going to be in trouble with the school. And I tell my kids, if they get in trouble at school, they get in trouble at home. And so there might be some boundaries Uh, from the action that occurred. Thirdly, Jesus teaches us to live forgiven. Look at verse 3. And if he sins against you seven times in a day and comes back to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. Now the issue here is ongoing forgiveness. And as Christians, we must refuse to live with a spirit of bitterness, with the root of anger in our heart. We must live forgiven. Why is that? Because if you don't live forgiven, you will become a stumbling block. Your anger will drag yourself and others down. And so the rabbis used to say in Jesus' day, you only had to forgive someone three times. One, two, strike three, you're out of here. Jesus comes onto the scene and says, no, 70 times seven. So you're like, okay, 490 times. Now this doesn't mean that you have the scorecard. All right. That's the 456th time you didn't pick up your shoes. Listen, you have 34 more chances, mister, and you are out of here, all right? That's not what Jesus is getting at here. He he is saying that, that we as Christians need to live with the spirit of forgiveness, and we are able to extend forgiveness because we have been forgiven. Because we have been forgiven, we live forgiven. You say, but they don't deserve it. Neither do you. Neither do I. That's the whole point of grace. We've received something from God. God has modeled something for us that we don't deserve, and we extend forgiveness to others at times, even when they don't don't even deserve it in any way. Now, I I preach on this subject pretty well every, every chance the, the Scriptures give me to preach on it. My topics, I preach what's next in the text. So when it comes up, I talk about it. And usually that's at least once a year. And I know this, that for some, uh, this is really hard. This topic stings. Because in your life, You've been hurt. People have done some things to you, said things about you. Perhaps you've been the victim of something that is just pure evil. I don't want to minimize what's happened to you. And I realize that I can't take away what has happened. And I don't fully understand your story. It's your story. But I know that God doesn't want you to live angry. 
We should learn from the past, but we can't live in the past. And God wants you to live the life that He has for you today, and He wants you to live forgiven. And so one of my prayers for our church as we've been putting together this sermon this week is that we will not live our life with the clenched fist, but that we will open the hand to be able to receive grace from above. And I realize that sometimes that's a process where we have to come to God over and over again. Sometimes it's a process where we have to have healing take place within us. Sometimes it's a process where we have to even seek out help that goes beyond ourselves. But open the fist and receive the grace of God. He doesn't want you to live angry. He wants you to live forgiven. You guys know me as Lash or Pastor Lash. You may not all realize that my full name is actually Lashley. Now, please, don't call me that, okay? Um, only my mom calls me that, or Stacy, my dear bride, when she really wants to get my attention, she might <laughs> call me that. The history of the name was, it was a real rough pregnancy, and so my mom just decided, no, I'm kidding, that's not the history of the name, but... It was my great-grandmother's maiden name. And so she then named my grandfather, father, Lashley, and then my mom named me Lashley. Now, what you may not know is that my mother had a very rough relationship with her father. My mom's childhood was absolutely horrific. Both my mom and dad came from really rough circumstances, and they are just a testimony of grace. And during her childhood, she felt abuse, abandonment, often not wanted. She lived with a great deal of personal pain. And so one time I asked her, I said, Mom, why did you name me after my grandfather when my grandfather wasn't really a model dad for you. And I'll never forget what she said. She, she said, because I've forgiven him. I've forgiven him. And so, every time my mom calls me Lashley, I cringe a little bit. <laughs> but I also smile. Because I, I know it means that in spite of everything that she's been through, in spite of everything that she had to persevere through, in spite of all the wrong that was done to her, she encountered Christ and now she lives forgiven. And she's willing to extend it to others as well. How you deal with the conflicts in life will in many ways shape your life and life is far too short to live angry. Please, Stop rehearsing the past over and over again. Unclench the fist. Adorn yourself in grace. And live forgiven. It is such, it is such a great way to live. Adorned in the grace of God. 
living forgiven. Would you guys be so kind as to bow your heads with me, please, as we come to what we call the time of commitment. It could be that somebody here this morning, this is the day where God has really opened your heart and you need to experience the forgiveness of grace that only God can bring to you. I'm going to be here at the front during this next song and I'll be here after the service as well. And If today is the day where you need to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want to talk to you. I want to be a pastor to you and help you with that decision so that you can leave here today knowing that you have received the grace and forgiveness of God in your heart. It's available to you. It might be that for some of us in this room, we need to mark this moment because there's some changes that need to take place in our heart. Perhaps there's even some phone calls that need to be made with friends or family members. There's some anger that needs to be released. Some prayers that need to go up where we say, Lord, help me not to live with this bitterness within me, but help me, Lord, to live forgiven. Father, I thank you. I thank you for your undeserved grace. I thank you for your forgiveness. I thank you, Father, that you shined your light of truth deep within the crevices of my heart. That your grace transforms us and it changes us from the inside out so that we become new people in Christ Jesus. Help us, Lord, not to be a stumbling block. Help us, Lord, not to let the past drag down the people that we love the most. Help us, Father to have the spirit of grace and forgiveness. And may we demonstrate a Christian faith that draws people to the cross of Jesus rather than pushing them away. I pray, Lord, for some new beginnings, for a new spirit. I pray, Father, that some of the heaviness that we walked into this room today with will be released. I pray that we might adorn ourselves in grace. It's in Jesus' name we pray. In Jesus' name we worship. Amen.